You are listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast with me, Trip Kramer. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the How to Talk to Girls podcast. I'm your host, Trip Kramer from tripadvice.com. You know, there is uh, one topic on this podcast that I don't think I can do enough episodes on. And it's the topic of the nice guy syndrome, being the nice guy, trying to escape the nice guy. No more Mr. Nice Guy. And I feel like I come back to this topic quite a bit just because I'm always running into it when I'm coaching guys. I run into it when I get questions from guys. And a lot of guys have already self-diagnosed themselves as a typical nice guy. And so I feel like it is my mission, well, one of my missions, one of many here, to help guys who are in this nice guy syndrome. I also feel like I have a special place in my heart for guys who are going through this because I am a former nice guy. That's right. And I even say here on this podcast, there, there are a lot of tendencies that still come out. I still feel like a nice guy at times. When I say nice guy, I mean you know doing the people pleaser thing. Doing the thing that's good for someone else that may not be good for yourself. Putting others in front of yourself. That's what a quick description of the nice guy is. So I decided to have Dr. Michael Pariser on. And I had him on the podcast to talk about the nice guy syndrome and how to fix it. He is a very knowledgeable guy, especially in this area. He has a book called No More Mr. Nice Guy. The Hero's Journey. And he gives some great tips to get over your nice guy syndrome. So first we define it, we go through it. What is it? What does it look like? And how do we step out of that and become a more confident version of ourselves with higher self-esteem that doesn't get shot down and doesn't get stepped on by women, by people? So if you feel that you are a nice guy, you're going to get a lot out of this episode. And I'm excited to be able to help you today with this. Well, more so Dr. Michael, who does a majority of the talking here. I just let him go and and talk to us about what we can do to fix this. And he had such good information that I was just an avid listener. And it was great to hear him speak on this topic. Like I said, I've talked about nice guy stuff before. I've had Dr. Robert Glover on before. He talks about the nice guy And so more information can't hurt. If you feel like you're stuck in the nice guy syndrome, I do help with this personally in terms of getting guys out of the nice guy into a guy who's more confident and able to meet women and not get stuck in the friend zone. If you need that help, I want you to check out coaching with me at coachedbytrip.com. If you go to that page, you are going to see that on there, there are a bunch of videos of guys who have worked with me who have been able to get into a more confident mindset to be able to meet women. Watch those. Those are really amazing videos just showing what guys can really achieve when they go through a coaching program. And coaching can be very powerful if you are someone who really wants to put in the effort. I'm not saying that coaching is hard, but you are going to be guided through a process where you and the coach, which in this case is myself, really work together to get to the point where you're seeing success in whatever it is you're doing. And in this case, it's meeting, talking to, and attracting women. So if you need help with that, go to coachedbytrip.com and apply today. What happens when you apply is you apply basically to get on a phone call with me and that phone call will determine if coaching is a good fit for you. Mostly it is, but I just have to get on the phone with you just to see if 
We're a good fit and it's going to work out with you. So go there right now. And once you apply, I will reach out via text or email and we will take it from there. Why don't we hop into today's episode with Dr. Michael talking about fixing the nice guy syndrome. Hey, Dr. Michael, how's it going today? It's going great. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really excited to have you on the show and talk about some nice guy stuff. Before we get into that, maybe you can tell us how you got into your field of work and what kind of doctor you are and how you got started in all of this. Uh, well, I, I am a psychologist and psychoanalyst in private practice in Los Angeles, California. And I, I got into it by having a lot of unresolved emotional problems. The same way I think people, healers, have been getting into it for thousands of years. There's a whole tradition of the wounded healer, starting with shamans in non-industrial societies tens of thousands of years ago. And so I'm just the latest uh, avatar uh, of the wounded healer. Wow, very interesting. And have you met a lot of people like yourself too when you were going through this journey? Absolutely. Everybody I know, with the exception of a few people who just kind of seem to gravitate towards psychology coming out of college, all of the ones who kind of got into it later, anytime, any point after like the age of 30, we are all wounded healers. And so I've met hundreds of people like me. Yeah. So what do you mean by that wounded healer? Well... Everybody, look, there isn't anybody who doesn't have emotional issues. There is no such thing as a perfectly kind of a normal, healthy human being with no problems whatsoever. We're human beings. We have problems. And so some people's problems are more, torture them more than others. And so those people tend to seek help. And when you seek help and you actually get it and it actually works for you and you wind up kind of feeling different about yourself and the world better than you did when you started, you kind of want to spread the word. You want to it's process. So true. You want to help others the way you've been helped. So. It's not that the wounds ever go away, but they don't hurt as much. And so you want to bring that help and that healing and that pain relief to other people in the world. I have a very uh, similar experience. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there's just something there where when you solve something and it makes you feel so good, you just you want other people to know about it. That's like what I went through when I was trying to learn how to be more confident with women, how to be, you know, at the point where I I just knew exactly what to say to women and I was starting to get women attracted to me. And it wasn't it was challenging for sure, but I felt like I had some information to share that can make it easier for guys because I feel like I I felt like I cracked it. And I had that similar thing where I was like, I got to share this. And mm. that's basically what spawned me doing what I do as well. So we have a similar story there. 
Uh huh. Yeah, particularly when you have the idea, you know, A, I'm not the only person on the face of the earth that suffered from this problem. And B, people start coming up to you and going, well, how did you do that? How did you change? How did you lose 40 pounds? How did you pick up that beautiful girl? How did you stop hating yourself? How did you become successful? Okay, then you start to want to share it with people. Yeah, absolutely. And here you are sharing it with the world. And you came up with something called the hero's journey. Now, that's something that I've heard about in Hollywood in terms of how movies are written. I think one of the best examples is like Star Wars. And it's a typical formula for someone who's going through a journey who then becomes a hero. I'm not sure if that's why you named it that, um, but it would be interesting at least to hear what is the hero's journey that you talk about in terms of guys and their nice guy mentality. All right. Well, I, I can't take credit for the phrase, the hero's journey, because that was the invention of Joseph Campbell back in 1949. And he wrote it in a book. It was an idea in his, it was kind of a masterpiece or seminal book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And what he basically said is that he he read and read and read the books on the world's myths and legends and fairy tales and epics and stories and watched movies and uh, read novels. And what he began to notice was that In essence, there was a common thread that wove through all of the great legends. And it had identifiable parts to it. And he called that the hero's journey. And you can see it. Certainly, it's been adopted by Hollywood, but it it got... It was being done in Hollywood before Joseph Campbell showed up. So you can look at any one of the great movies and you'll see this kind of structure in place. I took it and adapted it to working with what are called nice guys, capital N, capital G, nice guys, Mr. Nice Guys, guys who really kind of got identified by Dr. Robert Glover in his book, No More Mr. Nice Guy. So what I'm doing in essence is combining Glover's ideas about nice guys with Campbell's ideas about the hero's journey and my own sense of what it's going to take to get a nice guy from a weak, compliant guy who lacks confidence to to a strong, confident, honest, integrated, assertive male. And I kind of put that together in a series of exercises that anybody can take and do and hopefully will change them for the better. So why don't we first break down more of the nice guy? Like maybe give examples of what a nice guy looks like. Who is the nice guy? What are his characteristics? What are the actions that he's taking? Who is the nice guy? And that way, our audience here 
can really take away, okay, wow, yep, this is me. Almost like a way to self-diagnose in a sense. All right. Before I, I go into describe it, I, I would just put in a plug for Robert Glover's book, which describes this, just nails the syndrome and so many of its aspects. And it's a very quick read and an inexpensive book. And so if you suspect you're a nice guy, just read the book and you'll see. But the primary qualities of a nice guy are, it's about people pleasing. It's about self-sacrificing, compliance, people pleasing, and being kind of organized around the idea that, or the basic principles that if I am nice and only nice, and only good, and self-sacrifice, and I'm never selfish or bad, and I put other people's needs in front of my own needs, and I work to make that happen, then I will get the love that I'm looking for, get everything I want without ever having to ask for it, and live a problem-free existence. That's a nice guy. Got it. Sounds familiar. I know it all too well. <laughs> and it definitely it does uh, definitely not was me. work. It was you, yeah. It was me too. And I'll be honest, I still have. It's not like it totally disappeared. There's still moments where it does come up. Or maybe I even act like a nice guy in some some way. And But now, because of the awareness, I can catch myself easier. And I can yeah. be so much more aware of, oh, okay, let's not do that. That's a little nice guy. You know, so it's still uh, always a work in progress from what I've always. experienced. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. And you wind up getting better. It's a learning curve. And that doesn't mean you can't ever slip back into old habits, things that don't work. You're going to do it all the time. It's just you become more and more aware of it. You become better and better at shifting out of it. And also you develop ways of kind of picking yourself up once you've fallen into the hole so that you can then, oh, I nice guide my way out of this. All right, well, let me see what I can do to kind of fix what I just, the mess, clean up the mess I just made and try to do it in a different way. I can go back to that person and say, you know what? I said, yes, I didn't really mean yes. I, I, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. Or I, I would like to kind of modify that a bit. Right. It's uh, a long and could be a long journey to get this thing handled. I feel like unless you have the awareness of what's going on. Right. So I want to dive into what you help guys with specifically and really check out this whole hero's journey aspect of it all. And what does it mean to really get this nice guy syndrome fixed? All right. Well, that's it. Those are huge questions. So what do I do? So what do I do is kind of like what the book does, although the, the book I wrote does it in a more organized fashion so that if you work your way through the exercises in the book, um, it, they kind of build on each other in a way that makes emotional sense. 
when I work with guys, I'll just deal with whatever they bring in that particular day. And what I primarily do is I would say I would do three things primarily. One of them is emotional self-awareness. The second is reanimating desire. And the third is developing ongoing assertiveness. So let me take them one at a time. And I, I, I won't go into long lectures, but just flesh them out a little bit. So emotional self-awareness, which is the number one aspect of what's called emotional intelligence these days, is about being able to get hold of what you feel and link it to what's going on around you. I feel sad because... Uh, and disappointed because I was hoping to get this job and it didn't happen. Or I, I feel hurt because I had this hot date and she canceled at the last minute. Or I feel angry because I, she did show up, but she showed up an hour late and then left after you know 20 minutes. So I, I want to get hold of how I feel. The second thing reanimating desire has to, this may be the central shift for nice guys, because nice guys are supposed to be focused only on the wants and needs of other people. So a lot of times, if you say to a nice guy, so, all right, so what do you want? The answer is, I don't know. Like, they'll come in and they'll say, well, I want to be happy. I say, all right, well, what makes you happy? I don't know. In point of fact, most nice guys are raised in a family in which the emotional needs of one or both of the parents dominated to such an extent that the child had to sacrifice his own desire to make the parent happy. Because look, let's say your your father drinks a lot and is a rageaholic. And so everybody in the family has to tiptoe around him and make sure that he gets what he wants so he doesn't start screaming and putting his fist through the wall or one of the children. So let's say you want something and you don't know whether or not it's something your father wants. And you discover it isn't, and there's a conflict. He will blow up at you. Having desires, having wants can put you in conflict with the emotionally reactive parent. And so what happens is little by little, you start saying to yourself, well, I, I might, I want this, but you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll I don't know, I don't want to bring it up with, he's, you know, and pretty soon you don't bring anything up. And after that, it becomes so automatic that there's like an automatic process in your mind 
the brain just goes to work and eliminates desire altogether to the point where it's not about, well, what do you, what restaurant do you want to go to for dinner? It's about getting hold of the process that would take you there. You can't, you can't know what you want for dinner because you can't know what you want. So well, isn't the desire that you want the, the, the parent and then it turns into a person, a girl in the future to be happy because of fear of losing them? I mean, isn't that, isn't that the desire? Well, that's, yeah, that's part of it. Although with childhood, you're not going to lose them completely, but they may blow up and smack you or they may, let's say you have a depressed parent and something you say triggers the depression and then they retreat to their bedroom for three days and you don't see them or they get angry and they stop talking to you. They give you the silent treatment for a week for a kid. This is, this is torture. This is emotional torture. It's traumatizing. Yeah. It's traumatizing. So the go away that we're afraid of in adulthood is, is a kind of a more mature version of what happened in childhood. Got it. Okay. Okay. So now this happens. Yes. So what, what's the next? What's the next step here? The next step is, uh, would be assertiveness, which is honest, open communication. And it relies on the first two. In order for me to come and tell you, you know, kind of confront you about what's going on between us, I first have to know, A, how I feel, and B, what I want, so that I can come to you and say, you know what, when you did this, that really hurt me, and frankly, it pissed me off. And I want you to stop doing it, or I'm going to go away, or I'm going to do something else. But you first have to know how you feel and what you want. And then you can communicate it honestly, openly, set boundaries, say no when you want to say no, and not an automatic yes, and actually get what you want in life. I suspect you are far more successful with women not beating around proverbial bushes, but Telling them what you want and being, you know, honest and open about things. Right. And what happens if you don't get this figured out? Well, if you keep on doing what you've always done, you'll keep on getting what you've always got, which is not what you actually want and not what's making you happy. I mean, you will get some nice guys. They're not assholes, okay, who can have things in the short run but destroy things in the long run. They get some stuff and they get credit for being nice, but they ultimately don't get a lot of what they want. And they're often settling, they're often second bananas, they're often middle managers, they're, they're rarely visionaries and leaders. And they rarely get women going, wow, I really want to be with you. I respect you. You turn me on. It's more like, 
they walk through life managing other people and they get mediocre results. Right. So not a good path to go down unless you can finally get it fixed. Yes, (laughs) exactly. So what other things do you tell guys in order to help with their nice guy tendencies? Well, let me see if there's a couple of things that will help. One is they they have to start noticing the ways in which nice guy psychology manifests itself. One of the things, for example, that guys do are what are called covert contracts. And you no doubt heard about those or read about them and learned about them. And for people out there who haven't, a covert contract is an unspoken agreement that the other person doesn't actually know about. But you, the nice guy, have signed that person onto. And I'm going to give you a really kind of trivial but unbelievably common example to show you how this works. So let's say you're driving down the street and you come to a stop sign. And there's a stop sign in the other direction. And you and another car kind of arrive about the same time. Maybe you got there a little sooner. And you could kind of push through and take, you know, I got here first, so I'm going first. But being a nice guy, you generously wave the other person through. And as you are sitting and watching, as the other person moves through the intersection, you're looking to see, do you get the wave? Do you get the wave of, thank- of gratitude for your generosity? And if you do, then you feel like a big man. And if you don't, then you say, fuck you, asshole. You sign that guy, the other person, onto a covert contract, like you do sometimes when you open the door for an attractive woman. She's supposed to smile and thank you. If she does, you feel like a big man. And if, you, if she doesn't, then you, then you feel angry and resentful. There's a covert contract. You signed her onto the covert contract. The contract is, I open the door, you smile and say thank you. That's the contract. You're expecting something, bottom line. That's it. And you feel you deserve it, and you've earned it. And if you don't get it, you're pissed off and resentful. And that dynamic operates in spades in an ongoing relationship. I emptied the dishwasher without having to be asked. Therefore, I want oral sex. It sounds silly, right? But guys think this way. I want validation. I want approval. I want gratitude. I want thanks. I want you. I want a massage. Like, whatever it is. That's what I'm supposed to get for doing these nice things for you. Without you asking Therefore, I shouldn't have to ask in return. That's the contract. That's the covert part of it. Yeah, it's, it's really tough too. It gets complicated because then you're, what you're doing there is you're setting yourself up for trouble because 
it's that act itself that actually is unattractive to women. So you're really doomed here because you're being the nice guy, expecting something in return, and you're not going to get it specifically because you are doing these little nice guy moves. So right. it gets, it, it, it get, it, you get into a downward spiral here. It's, it's dangerous. You're making a really good point, which is that people can pick, they, they sometimes can sniff that out. And so that when they do, it makes it unattractive and they're much less likely to give it to you. Right. Exactly. So how do I help people with that? So yep. I, I present, I give them alternatives and we discuss their feelings as they imagine the alternatives. So one alternative, for example, is an overt contract, which you can't do with a guy driving through an intersection, but you could do with your partner. You could say, I'll tell you what, I'll clean the kitchen if you give me a, a, a body massage. That's an overt contract. There's nothing wrong with that. Could even be ridiculous. I'll empty the dishwasher if you give me a blowjob. That's ridiculous, right? But there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's an overt contract. And the other person, as long as you, the other person is free to say no and not enter the contract, there is nothing wrong with it. So that's, that's one thing. Another, another thing is if you really want something, just ask for it. You don't have to earn it. If you want oral sex from your partner, just ask for it. You don't, you don't have, if you want to date with a woman, you don't have to earn it. You don't have to buy her a drink. Sometimes it helps. I mean, that's the cultural you know, currency, but you don't have to. There's no law that says that you can't simply ask for what you want. Right. And so when I start talking about this, Guys will go, oh, no, no, that would never happen, or I couldn't. And then we start working through, well, what do you believe would happen if? And then the more we work on it, the more guys are inclined to go out and try stuff. And that's when they discover, you know what? The other, these other ways, they work better. Just being honest works better. It doesn't mean being crude or malicious, or a, a jerk, but you can be honest, and you will get more of what you want. Okay. I like that. I like that. Very good. That's definitely one step to get out of that nice guy syndrome. Mm-hmm. Cool. Another thing is, going back to the first thing, like reanimating desire, or the second thing, actually. Reanimating desire, there's an exercise that I, I do with almost everybody. So you're talking with your audience in particular because they're, you know, they're, at, they're in the dating scene. So you start dating and you go to a woman and you say, and you, she's agreed to go out with you. And you say to her, so where do you want to go to dinner? Well, you're already in the wrong place because you shouldn't be necessarily doing that on the first date or second date or third date. But being a nice guy, that's automatic for you. You don't ever say, hey, you know, put on your little black dress and I'm taking you, I'm picking you up at seven, which would excite her. And and where we're going is a surprise. You go, where would you like to go? Because you only know how to make other people happy. 
you don't know what to want. So what I said, cause it, and then it just keeps going on. Where do you want to go? 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 So I say to them, okay, this is a really low stakes exercise. The next time you are on a date or you have a date planned, you are not allowed to ask her where she wants to go. You are only allowed to either say what you want. If it's a, if it's a kind of you want to do a mystery date, then you say, you know, I'll pick, put on your little black dress and I'll pick you up at seven. But if it's like someone you're dating or even a partner, like your girlfriend or your wife, you are not allowed to ask her what she wants until you go off and figure out what you want. Now, in the beginning of this process, this is not going to be easy for a nice guy. No, it's not. That's the exercise. So I recommend that they go off by themselves that, you know, sit in your car for an hour, take a walk, take a run, lock yourself in the bathroom, whatever you need to do to get hold of what, where you want to, and then, and you're not allowed to kind of nice guy your way out of your own mind by saying, well, where would she like to go? Where, where? No, you're allowed, if this were your last day on earth, where would you go to dinner? That's the question. If if this is if she didn't exist, if this weren't a date, where would you go to? Where would you want to go to dinner? Yeah, or you can even reverse it. If she asked you what you wanted, what would you say? That's a good. I like that. Although the, the nice guy's going to be like, "Well, whatever you want." <laughs> exactly. Or he would say, "Oh, I don't know. You know, like, what do you think? You think you might want like." Uh, Italian or sushi or like there's some tricky way a nice guy would nice guy's way out of it. So you're not allowed to do that. You can only come out when you know what you want. And then you have to announce it in a forthright and honest way. You have to say something like, honey, let's say it's a partner rather than a date. Honey, I'm like jonesing for lasagna Let's go to Vito's and have Italian food. And then you have to do maybe the hardest thing there is for a nice guy. Shut up. You are not allowed to say, well, if you want, but if you want something else, you know, we get like, you cannot nice guy your way. I want Italian food. And then shut up and wait to see what happens next. Yeah. And it'll be excruciating that, you know, that three seconds while she thinks about it is going to be excruciating. It'll feel like a lifetime. But eventually you start to get good at it. And then comes the next step, which is, well, what if she says no? Because that's what all the nice guys say. Well, but, but, but what if she doesn't want Italian food? So first of all, chances are she's going to say yes. Most cases, people agree. But if she says, well, no, you know, I'm on a diet and pasta makes me fat, then you negotiate. Well, what do you what do you? And now you get to ask, well, what do you want? And then you got to when she says, I want sushi, then you get to think about, do I want sushi? You know, I just had sushi. I'm worried about bacteria. Sushi's expensive. And then you can negotiate. 
maybe you can say, all right, I'll have sushi tonight if you agree to have Italian next time or vice versa. Or maybe there's an Italian Japanese restaurant. Or maybe we go to the food court and you can have sushi and I'll have Italian. Or maybe we'll both have Siberian. I mean, you'll figure it out. But you must start by saying what you want. That's the reanimating desire process. It's not reanimating a specific desire. It's reanimating, bringing back to life the process of desiring and knowing what you desire. Yeah. So powerful. And I know that you gave this one little exercise on this one potential moment in a relationship or a dating, whatever. But it's basically the way I see it is it's that. And it's the same exact scenario with anything that you're doing. doesn't matter if it's dinner or whatever, any decision that you're making. Just the decisiveness and the assertiveness and going through that whole process that you're explaining here that is difficult for nice guys. And rinsing and repeating that in all the different moments where something like that could occur. Mm -hmm. So it's very important. Agreed. And, uh, oh, thank you for saying that. Yes, I, I agree with me. No, I agree with you. It is rinse and repeat. And it's not just with other people. It's with every aspect of your life. Getting hold of what you want, which in turn rests on getting hold of how you feel, will change your life because you can be moving in a direction that you genuinely want to go as opposed to moving in a direction you think somebody else wants you to go or would make somebody else happy. So you get to kind of be the captain of your own ship. You decide where you want to go and what you want to do, what you want to have. And it makes your life a much, much happier and richer place. Yeah, exactly. It's good for not only with attracting women, but making you feel better about yourself, increasing your self-esteem, getting what you want out of life, helping with your job. I mean, really, it spans across all the different parts of your life. Uh-huh. Right. And by the way, all those things have what's known as a recursive effect, which means that they each influence each other. So... If I say what I want and then I go after what I want and I have a better chance of getting what I want, that increases my self-esteem, which reinforces my ability to ask for what I want. And people look at me and they think, oh, here's a confident guy telling me what he wants. Oh, maybe I'll give it to him, which then increases my sense of self-esteem and my worth. And now I can feel even better about asking for what I want. So there's this whole kind of adaptive spiral that's formed from operating from a place of authentic feeling and desire. Yeah, exactly. I like this. So any other last tips for guys who are going through this process of, of we'll say a metamorphosis, the change uh. and getting out of this old nice guy shell? This is not an easy thing to do. The process of, let me back up a second. What nice guy syndrome is, 
it's kind of like a large-scale personality organization. And there's nothing wrong with being nice. In fact, it's a lot better than being a jerk. We all know that. And that's why people ask sometimes, well, what's wrong with being nice? It's not that being nice in and of itself is a bad thing. It's that nice guys apply the principles of nice guyness rigidly and in every context, inflexibly and uh, unchangeably. So there are times when it works perfectly. And there are other times when it works miserably and there's a whole lot of things in between. But nice guys can't sort that out. It's that old line about if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, all they have is a hammer. And so everything looks like an opportunity to get validation for being nice. And somehow believing that that translates to a problem-free life, life and love, which it doesn't. So the idea here is it's not going to be a fast switch. Oh, I'm, I'm no longer, okay, everybody, I'm no longer a nice guy. Because you've spent your whole life being this kind of person. You can't just flick a switch and change overnight. It's a, it's a learning process. You're learning a skill like hitting a tennis ball or a, or a baseball or learning French, and you are at the same time changing your internal emotional makeup, and that's hard. So you're going to need help. Don't try to do this alone. You can do it with my book. But you can also do it with a group of people. You can do it with a therapist. You can do it with a support system. Nice guys like to do things in isolation. I'll go off. I'll get to be perfect. I'll come out and everybody will go, wow, you, you've really like, wow, now you're a perfect person. It, do- <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. Start to be open, vulnerable, let people see your, your ragged ass, raggedy ass, your bad habits, because ultimately what the ultimate antidote to nice guy syndrome, as it is to so many other things, is self-acceptance. So I can accept, I used to be, oh, I can only be nice. I have to be nice. I have to be nice. Now. I can be nice, I can be selfish, I can be kind, I can be cruel, I can be generous, I can be stingy, I can be, you know, good, I can be bad, I can be everything. I can be happy, sad, spiteful, malicious, hateful, hungry, joyful. I can be anything. And I want to be whatever is right or appropriate in that situation and accept that about myself. I'm a complex and imperfect human being in a very, very large and complicated world. Well said. Well said. And that is definitely a way to get to the point where you're building some serious self-esteem. And hopefully onward and upward from there, 
to, you know, then defeat some of those nice guy tendencies to be okay with picking the things that you want to do, making the decisions for yourself because you believe more in yourself and you respect yourself more. So Mm -hmm. very cool. Well, where can guys get a copy of your book? which is well, The Hero's Journey. Well, it's called No More Mr. Nice Guy, The Hero's Journey. And it is available in three different forms. It's on ebook, paperback, and Audible. And the Audible comes with a, uh, a PDF worksheet, a long one. And you can get all of that on Amazon and Audible, and, and you can also get it on Barnes and Noble, and I think you can get it on Apple Books as well. Okay, cool. Well, we'll put a link there in the show notes. And I just want to say, Dr. Michael, thanks for being here and sharing with us some of your knowledge on what the nice guy is and some ways to be able to escape the nice guy and move into a whole new journey of your life. So appreciate the time and appreciate the, the knowledge and wisdom. So thank you. Trip, thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure talking to you.